1 Corinthians chapter 7, please. 1 Corinthians 7, we need to get right into the passage tonight. 1 Corinthians 7, I want you to go to verses 10 to 15. And while you're doing that, we're going to look in our first point at Malachi chapter 2. So you might want to start turning to Malachi chapter 2 as well, even though it's in your notes, because I, I, I want to spend some time looking at some things that are found there this evening. 1 Corinthians 7. You read aloud at home, if you would, please. We'll read, try to read slowly tonight. Actually, let's start with verse 8. If you've got your Bibles open, go to verse 8. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn. In the context here, he's, he's talking about burning with lust. And to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Now you might want a pencil in there. Paul is taking them back to Matthew chapter 19. He taught it before. He's reinforcing it again. And to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband. Circle the word depart. But and if she depart, and again, circle the word depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. Circle the two words, put away. But to the rest, speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. Circle those words again. And the woman which has a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. Circle the word depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. You want to circle the word bondage. But God has called us to peace. The words depart, predominantly in these verses we've read, would translate to the word divorce. In the latter part of verse 15, the word depart there is not the word for divorce. We're going to talk about some word studies tonight. It's a Greek word, ephiemi. Ephiemi. It does not mean divorce in verse 15. In fact, notice um, verse 11. The two words put away. It's the word ephiemi. Ephiemi. It means to send away to maliciously neglect or perhaps abandon. I want to preach you a message tonight, lead you to a Bible study entitled, The Devil's Favorite Word in Marriage. The Devil's Favorite Word in Marriage. God, give us understanding tonight. Be glorified. Help me this evening to be a vessel unto honor, sanctified to meet for the Master's use, and prepared unto every good work. What I'm going to preach tonight, I've had discussions one-on-one -on -one with various people in church, tried to help our people through this. 
Tonight, Lord, on a congregational basis, I pray give counsel and wisdom now. Your word is inspired. Your word is irrefutable doctrine. We humble our hearts before you tonight, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated at home. Tonight we're studying God's word on divorce and remarriage. It's a very, very touchy subject. I want to say right at the beginning, we have people in our church who've gone through the experience, the unpleasant experience, the trauma, the expenditure, the hurt, and the wound, a divorce. I want to tell you tonight, your pastor, God loves you and I love you. I want you to know that tonight. God loves you and I love you. I don't want you apprehensive. I don't want you sitting on pins and needles tonight. And there's so many things I could say. Some of it may come out tonight, some of it may not. I just want you to know tonight, God loves you. Jesus tells us, and we'll see this tonight, God permits divorce. God permits it because of the hardness of our hearts. Did you know when we sin, that is a reflection of the hardness of our hearts? Divorce, and there's many ramifications to this, but divorce, as we're going to look at tonight, it's not, it's going to cover, it's not going to cover a, a broad spectrum, but we're going to look at it tonight. I want you to understand something tonight. If you've gone through the pain of that, it's what it is. And I pray that right now that you believe that the marriage you're in, that you're happily married, and you thank God for your marriage, and that you pray that you stay happily married. But I want to say tonight to our, all of our marrieds who've never gone through this, we don't want you to go through that. God doesn't want you to. For years, we have been reporting and saying, and I'm guilty of saying this too, that one out of two marriages ends in divorce. That's not wrong. That's not correct. They've even said two out of three, but if you examine a lot of people, <laughs> I, know a lot more, I know a lot of married people, saved and unsaved. Many years ago, the U.S. Census Bureau came out one year and reported there were 2.4 million new marriages. And in that same year, there were 1.2 million divorces. They were unrelated for the most part. And so because of that, someone took those numbers and said, oh, one out of two marriages ends in divorce. And that just kind of spread especially among churches. What someone forgot to take account was when they mentioned that 2.4 million marriages, there were 2.4 million marriages that year, 1.2 million divorces, someone forgot to say that year that, that there were already 54 million people that were already married. Now, I don't know exactly what the, the, what, how you even come at that arrival, and I, after studying this a little bit more, I realized that, you know what, you really got to look at these numbers very carefully. Someone said that the divorce number, according to Lewis Harris, the pollster, is one out of eight. I don't know about that. But I do know this, and you know this. Divorce is embedded in the world culture, especially in America. And Hollywood, unfortunately, and celebrities magnify it. Tonight, we're going to look at the Corinthian culture again. Because there was, divorce was rampant then. Divorce was rampant among the Jews, especially among Pharisees, when Jesus was administering. What does God have to say about divorce? Can a married couple divorce for any reason? Is divorce an unpardonable sin? 
I've actually had people say, if I do that, God will send me to hell. Does God allow for a divorced person to remarry? Now, there's a lot of, there's a lot of answers on that extreme. I have some good preacher friends. One who's preaching this pulpit. He's one of our favorite preachers. Who's very, very, his conviction is, if you divorce, you cannot remarry. We were driving to John Mere Woods when I asked him that question. I said, preacher, I'm going to ask you your question. And, you know, preachers have a way of messing with each other, if you know what I mean. I said, uh, what, do you, what, do you, what do you believe about this? And he turned the tables back on me and said, what do you believe? I said, I knew you were going to ask me that. I said, I'll tell you what I believe as long as you answer me. He said, okay, and I told him what I believe. I told him what the Bible says. And then he told me, Brother Fong, he said, I respect you, I love you, I believe you know your Bible, but he said, I, I, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't believe the same thing as you. And I said, that's fine, we're still good friends. I said, I respect you for having a higher standard about this, but I, but I'm, I, but I told him, I said, I said what, what's your scripture for that? And he's a great Bible preacher. If I told you the name, you'd be surprised. He is a great Bible preacher. And honestly, he couldn't give me a strong scripture. And, I, and, I, and I'm going to give you some scriptures tonight and, uh, that, that, that kind of validates some things. And you're going you're gonna to see tonight what the Bible says. I've got other preacher friends that have preached this pulpit that are great Bible men. I know of another one. He did the same thing. He said, well, what's your position? I told him my position. I said the same thing. I said, I'll tell you my position. You tell and we, at the end of the day, we both concurred. A lot of difference of opinions. If God should lead you to another independent Baptist church, you might find a great Bible-preaching pastor or pastors more topical in nature, and he may totally give you a different, a different answer about that. Okay, Now, I'm just going to tell you tonight, a pastor who holds a position, he doesn't believe in remarriage. I think he's wrong, and I'm going to show you that tonight. And I'm not giving justification. I just want you to understand what the Bible says here. But I, don't, I, but I don't disrespect him. And if God should lead you to church like that, you just ought to be thankful that there is a man of God who has just perhaps a higher standard that he believes about that. And I, and I respect that. But I want to see what the Bible says. Because we have, in our church, in a lot of churches, men and women who have gone through divorce and have remarried. And I just want you to say tonight, I want you to have a clear conscience before God. And I want you to say what the Word of God says tonight. But I want to say something to you tonight. I don't want anybody taking this message. It's being recorded right now. I don't want anybody taking this message saying, well, Pastor Fong said it's okay for me to divorce. And if I divorce, so I could remarry. I did not say that, and I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to tell you what God's Word says. Okay? So don't, 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 don't twist my words tonight, as some people do. Number one, I want you to go to Malachi chapter 2. Would you turn there, please? Malachi chapter 2. And I want you to see the covenant of marriage. The women, and this is the post, when Malachi wrote this, the, the Jews, you know, the Persians were in rule. They're already back, back in. They're already back in their, They're already back in Jerusalem. And God had to constantly deal with marriage and divorce issues. And the women, I want to give you. I want you to understand what's going on as I read these verses. The women had been dealt with by their husbands, and I'm going to use the Bible word in a treacherous way. Divorce was at a place where it should not have been. And verse 14 says, Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth. Now, stop there for just a minute. Marriage is a covenant. In a covenant... In a covenant, there are witnesses. There's the husband or the groom. There's the bride. And there's God. Don't forget that. In a marriage covenant. 
when we go back to when God established a covenant, and I think of just the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 15. When God established a covenant, they cut the covenant. A covenant was not supposed to be broken. It could not be broken. Marriage is a covenant. I'm going to say more on that in a minute. Notice again verse 14. Because the Lord has been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. Now that one verse, God is bringing us back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, the foundation of marriage. Marriage was given for companionship. Marriage establishes a covenant between a man, his wife, to be, and God. And he said in verse 15, and when he married you, and when he established that covenant, did not he, that is God, make one? Did not he make one? That's why I, I really enjoy with marriages, I'm, and I'm planting a seed there for the, uh, the singles out there. I really enjoy the unity candle, uh, the tying of the, of, the, of the ropes together, you know, Ecclesiastes 4. Uh, I really enjoy that part of the, of the marriage ceremony because it symbolically represents two becoming one. And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit. Now, marriage, when we go back to Genesis 2.24, marriage is a physical union. The oneness of flesh is emphasizing both the privilege and the priority of the physical union of marriage. But God reminds us here in verse 15 there's also the remnant, that's what the word residue means, the remnant of the Spirit. They're to become one in spirit. Now, you don't get married just for the physical aspect of it. You get married and become one in spirit. Your spirit has to be right. And if your marriage, the spirit of your marriage is not right, your marriage is, is going to be a mess. And he says... Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one. Notice this, notice this, that he might seek a godly seed. Now, this is good teaching right here. It's for the benefit of your children. It's because that physical relationship results in procreation. One of the many reasons why marriage is necessary. But God says a Christian marriage is to produce a godly seed. We're going to see more about that in 1 Corinthians 7 in a minute. God said, therefore, take heed to your spirit and let not one, not none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, now he's, he's, claiming, he's claiming sovereignty over his people. Okay? Israel's not the church. Church is not Israel. Remember that. God is claiming sovereignty over his people. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. God is saying in verse 16, he hates divorce. He did not say he hates the, divor the divorced with the ED. He said he hates the act itself. But let me remind you, God hates all sin. These six things that the Lord hate. And those six things, the seven are abomination. God lays it very quick. I mean, he says, anybody sows discord among the brethren? Pride. I mean, he lists those things out. But he still loves you, the sinner. and loves me, the sinner. Why does God hate divorce? Because he never intended in his grand scheme that marriage should end up in, in divorce. And then he goes on by saying, 
for one covereth violence with his garment. Now, if you go back to the book of Ruth, remember Ruth chapter 3? Ruth was at the feet of Boaz, remember that? And she said to him, it's kind of bold, bold on her part, she said, would you cover me with your garment? Part of the engagement betrothal process is when a man covered a woman with his garment, spread his skirt over her, basically it indicated, I take responsibility for you. It was an act or gesture saying, I am committed to marry you. It's kind of like an engagement. A man gets engaged to a woman today in our culture, he gives her an engagement ring. Here God says, instead of covering her with the garment of peace, he covers her with the violence. He says, one covers violence with a garment. In other words, God describes the very act of a malicious heart in divorce as violence. That's what he's saying there. It's, it's dealing treachery. Now, what I'm saying here tonight is that he's saying these husbands, they did not have good intent. These men wound up committing adultery. These men wound, they divorced their wife because they wanted, they were having an illicit relationship with someone else. God described it as covering violence with his garment. So God says, therefore, take heed to your spirit that you deal not treacherously. Now, marriage is a covenant. A covenant is based upon trust. You want to write this down. A covenant is different from a contract. When a husband and wife get married, they've put their complete trust in each other. When we have a contract, you know why we do contracts? Do you know why we do contracts? We don't trust the other person. That's why. We do contracts because we don't trust them. You know why? Because if they, if they break the terms of the contract, we do one of two things. We either annul the contract or we sue them. Contracts and covenants are not the same. In a contract between two parties, you agree to certain performances. You list those out. Again, as I said, if you don't meet those performances, you either you either have broken the contract or one will sue to enforce the performances. In a covenant, the parties love each other. Listen to this. They love each other and put no limits to their responsibilities. In a contract, they do not trust each other and they set limits to their own responsibilities. A covenant cannot be broken if new circumstances occur. Did you hear that? A covenant is not to be broken even if new circumstances occur. A contract can be voided by mutual consent. Now, a covenant in marriage is spiritual and physical. Here's what God said. Look at Romans chapter 7 tonight. Here's what God said. Can a covenant be broken? Yes. But God's standard in terms of how it can be broken is very, very, as a high standard and very restricted. Romans chapter 7, and Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 7, but Romans chapter 7, verse 2, he says that the marriage covenant can only be broken in death, till death do us part. For the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she's loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. That's very important. You understand that tonight. But if her husband be dead, she's free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. God says here in Malachi, marriage is a covenant. The covering with violence means a husband had done was cruel, unjust, and wrong in surprising his wife one day that I'm getting a divorce because, and she knew automatically, because he had somebody else in mind. Marriage is intended to be lifelong. 
Marriage is intended to be permanent. God, in his original intent, never intended marriage to result in divorce. Divorce happens because of the hardness of our hearts. God says he hates the putting away. Notice number two. Go with me to Matthew chapter 19. Go with me to Matthew chapter 19. Number one, we see a covenant. Number two, we see a command. Now, as you look there in 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul said this. Um, he said, he said, uh, he, he talked about, he says, but to, he, says he, he, he says, I command, he gives a commandment from but the Lord. He said in verse 10, unto the married I command, yet but not I, but to the Lord. Here, here we're going to amplify that in Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 to 9, I have to paraphrase it because of time. We'll get into some of this. Jesus had a word here about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Now, because Jesus spoke in Matthew to a Jewish audience, and that's how Paul recorded, I mean, excuse me, that's how Matthew recorded it, you have to bear in mind when you read Mark or Luke, it's not as inclusive as Matthew. So Matthew is a little bit more inclusive than the other two Gospels on this. John makes no mention of this. The Pharisees, remember now, Jesus is getting close to his crucifixion. The Pharisees came to him in verse 3, seeking to entrap him. They didn't ask about marriage. They asked about divorce. Look what it says. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him. And saying unto him, is it lawful for man to put away, and the Greek word is chorizo, is it lawful for man to put away or divorce his wife? Notice this, for every cause. Now the Pharisees were teaching, and Jesus touched on this in Matthew 5. And if you get to Matthew 19, about a couple years later, Jesus now goes a little bit more full-blown. So remember, when you read Matthew 5 about what he says about adultery, you need to remember that you have to, you have to put that passage in accordance with Matthew 19, which he gives further explanation where he's going with that. The Pharisees taught, there was a teaching, the Pharisees, you could divorce for any reason. If a wife, and this is literal, if she overboiled the water, if she burned the dinner, if she didn't do something right that he didn't like, or he woke up one day, just didn't have favor with her. He could divorce her. He did divorce her. That's what they practiced. And some of these Pharisees were hypocrites, and, and Jesus tears into that, Matthew 23, because they'd been married multiple times. It was not unusual in those days that a man would be married four or five times. In Corinth, listen, in Corinth, many of those people in that society were divorced many times. Jesus answered them. They said, what about divorce? Here's how he answered them. Let's talk about marriage. And so, it's just like any time somebody asks a question. Whenever we ask a question, we need to, if someone asks a question, we should respond, what does the Bible say? And let me help you some with it tonight. We've had these ministry minutes for the last several Sundays. They're good. We may or may not have one this Sunday. Right now I'm leaning out to have one just to let you have a little bit more time on Sunday night, but that could change. And we kind of get these questions that come through. I, I want to help you as a church tonight. Would you listen to me? Especially college students and singles. Questions are good. But before you ask a question or try to be a wise guy, before you even get there, a biblical mindset always asks this. What does the Bible say about this issue? Okay? What does the Bible say about this issue? That is how you need to train yourself to think. Because I'm going to tell you tonight, the Bible answers every issue of life. Don't be a wise guy or someone that's going to be continuously ignorant and say, well, what about this, and what about that, and what about this, and what about that? Get in the Bible. Find out what the Word of God says. 
Now, we do some of this because we want you to understand what the Word of God says. But you need to get from the place, and we talked about this several messages ago. You need to get to the place where you get off the milk of the Word, and you start learning the Bible and asking right questions so you can get into the meat of the Word of God. So Jesus asked them the question, have you not read? And I'm almost at a place, because I get some really bizarre questions, I'm almost at a place, have you not read? And he talked about creation in verse 4. Hey, listen to this tonight. Are you listening or are you sleeping there? He made male and female. You ought to say amen to that right now. He made male and female. There's a distinction. God didn't make you and then he made a mistake after you were born. He didn't make any mistakes. And so God is talking about he made Eve for Adam. Man was made for the woman, woman made for the man. Now he defines marriage in verse 5. And they knew what it was at because in their, in, their, in their teachings, they had to learn this. For this cause. What was the cause? Companionship. That it's not good for man to be alone. Companionship. Oneness, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother. Do you know there's a lot of emotional ties to father and mother? And in some families, there's a lot of financial ties. Uh, there's a lot of habitual ties. Nothing wrong with that. But marriage is you're starting your own home. You're building your own home. You're leaving those emotional and financial ties. What I mean by that is just that they're not doing everything for you. You're being responsible. And when you're marrying, you're cleaving or becoming one flesh to your wife or to your husband. Marriage is uniquely the only human relationship where there's one flesh. It, can only, it should only be accomplished through marriage. And he says here, and shall cleave his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. Now, Jesus repeats everything, Genesis 2.24. He says, you're one flesh. That's marriage. But because of the nature of the question, now he expands on it. That's still an inspired word. And he adds this statement, which we put in every marriage, every marriage ceremony. What therefore God has joined together. Now don't you complain and say, well, I'm in a marriage. I'm in a miserable marriage. I want to get out of this marriage. I don't like it. You know what? The moment you both said, I do, and the officiant basically carried you as a wife, God ordained it. God ordained it, okay? God joined you together. You are married into a covenant. God joined you together. So you know what? This business, well, I married the wrong person, whatever it may be, that's the devil giving you that business. That's not of God. So he says, what therefore God has joined together, let not man divorce. Let not man put asunder. The couple should not seek a divorce. Outside influences should not affect you. Hey, if you're watching too many TV programs and movies and junk like that, that where people are divorcing all this kind of stuff and all this garbage that's on TV, no wonder you're thinking about, listen, the devil's favorite word in marriage is divorce. Because you know what? It's an easy out. If I don't like this person, they don't satisfy me. They're just too much this and too much that. You know, if I want to get out and I want to be free, I just want to get out of this thing. You know what? That's the devil's favorite word there. So they asked the question in verse 7. Moses gave us Deuteronomy 24. And Moses, Moses, because of, gave, and you read Deuteronomy 24, he gives explicit details about, about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. You know what? You know where the Jews got all that? In Egypt. They've been down in Egypt for 400 years. They, 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 they conformed to Egyptian civil law. They said, well, they're doing it. I can do it too. And I remind you tonight, be not conformed to this world. Just because the world does it doesn't mean you do it. 
So they said, why did Moses give that? Notice Jesus said in verse 8, Moses, because the hardness of your hearts, sin leads to hardening hearts. You know what hardness of heart is? Is when you disobey God. You're hard. You're hard. You don't respond to the message, you're hard. You don't yield to God, you're hard. We're to respond to every word of God. It's holy. And Jesus now goes to verse 9. Would you notice that? In verse 8, he says, it was not so from the beginning. God permitted you through Moses, and so he gave some boundaries within this so that your lives could be civil, because we'll see later on, God has called us to peace. God said, I did it because of the hardest, Moses did because of the hardest of your heart. Because you decided you're going to do it anyway, so he had to put some boundaries and some rules around it. Now notice the statement in verse 9. This is inspired word. This is God himself speaking. And I say unto you. Now Jesus now is going to take them to a higher standard. He's going to correct practices that are out of bounds. I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, that means divorce his wife. In other words, he's saying, you ask the question, can I divorce for any reason? Because they wanted to entrap him. They wanted to make him look like a fool. He said, I say unto you, and you can just imagine that moment, all those Pharisees standing there, and his disciples, and there was such authority by which Jesus Christ spoke. There was such authority by which he gave this. He says, and I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except, except, there's an exception clause. One exception. Write that down tonight. One exception. Except it be for fornication. Isn't it interesting, he just didn't say adultery. He used a word which was a catch-all for all manners and forms, and I'm going to be very sure on the term, sexual immorality. And we saw some of it in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6. Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall remarry, I'm going to paraphrase that, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. Here's what he told those Pharisees. And man, they turned flesh red in the face. You divorce your wife for any reason, except for fornication, you're an adulterer. That's what he told them. That led to the breaking of the seventh commandment, is it not? Adultery is the seventh, breaking of the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. He said, you just broke the law of Moses. So you asked me about this, and he said, you asked me about what did Moses say? Here's what Moses said. And then he went on and said this, and whosoever marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery too. Now, I want you to understand the, 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 what he's talking about here. A man divorces his wife for other than fornication. In other words, she was not guilty of any sexual immorality of any kind, but he divorced her. He's here, she's there. They're both at risk of committing adultery. Did you hear what I said? They're both at risk of committing adultery. Because you know what? Except for fornication, listen, death breaks the covenant. Divorce because of fornication Breaks the covenant. Now let me repeat some here. Let me see something else here. What he means by fornication, he's talking about repeated, unrepentant behavior. He didn't say, he didn't mean, well, if it's a one-time act, that you need to get out. He's saying in this that if it happens, that person needs to repent, and the, the offender needs to repent, and the one who's offended needs the grace of God to forgive. But he's saying here, Jesus in his terms here, 
is talking about a repeat offender. He's in this all-inclusive, and you have to bear in mind the perversity of the world at that time. The one who continually, repeatedly is living that way, where it becomes intolerable and very difficult to stay in that marriage, that God said, listen, under that term, and, and they were living that way. He said, under that term, I give an exception. I give an exception. But they're both, but I want you to understand something. Aside from fornication, you've got the man here, and you've got the woman here. Either of them remarry. They've committed adultery. They've committed adultery. Jesus said the one exception for divorce and remarriage is if there's fornication. You say, wait a minute. If there's fornication and there's, and there's, there's fornication happens and there's marriage, uh, the fornication and there's divorce, here's what happens. Fornication breaks the covenant. The one flesh has been broken because of what has happened there. That person is, we'll see this in 1 Corinthians 7 because Paul will talk about it. That person, that, that the one who's been offended is no longer bound. They're no longer bound. We saw in Malachi that that, that person is no longer bound. Death breaks the covenant, the line of remarriage. Fornication breaks the covenant, allows for remarriage. Number three tonight. Go back to 1 Corinthians 7. Notice the counsel. Let me give you some definitions as we get into the counsel tonight. Paul gives further counsel. Let me tell you what's going on in Corinthian society. Corinthian society was messed up. It was messed up. Number one, men... It was well known. Men were cheating on their wives many times during the week. I'm going to use a very serious term. There were men that were in Corinth that were serial fornicators. That's how bad it was. But on the other extreme... And Paul addresses this. It's this problem of celibacy. Now, celibacy means basically that you have given yourself to never have a physical or not to have a physical relation with 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 the with the person of the opposite gender in, mar- in, 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 in with the opposite gender. Now, in the context of marriage, in the context of marriage. There were many, and they were in the church. Paul talks about that later on. Who were celibate in their marriages. Which is why Paul had to address verses 2 through 5. And many believed after they got married, I mean after they got saved, that they should be celibate. Now, again, they were letting the culture conform them. It's a form of asceticism. Now, let me talk about some definitions. There's three types of unmarried singles in this passage. Three types of unmarried singles. The first one is the widow. The widow is formerly married, but now single. We find that in verse 8. There is the virgin. We find that later on. A virgin is single never before married, single and never before married, and never having had premarital relations. But notice verse verse 8. Would you notice this? Who are the unmarried? Who are the unmarried? The unmarried are those who were formerly married, but at the time of this writing, they were divorced. 
divorced and unmarried. We find that in verse 8, 11, 32, and 34. So I, want, I gave you those definitions because quickly tonight we see Paul addressing different areas and groups of people. Notice first of all verses 8 and 9. Paul gives general counsel to widows and unmarried. I say therefore to the unmarried. Now who are they again? They're divorced and unmarried. They have not remarried. They're divorced and unmarried. And they're saved. He's talking to those who are saved in the church. I say therefore to the unmarried and to the widows. It's good for them if they abide even as I. Now Paul enjoyed, he had the gift of being single. He enjoyed it. He enjoyed not having the burdens and the responsibilities. He'd get up and go. He could do a lot more things spiritually. He gave himself to the Lord. He's just saying, you know what? Consider that as a gift from God. You can do more for Christ. I mean, basically that's what he's saying. He says, he, says, he says to them, it is good for them if they abide even as I. He says, I, I just encourage you to just be strong in the Lord and stay that way. But he said this, notice verse 9. But if they cannot contain, if there's still inside of them this desire of having this intimacy and a physical relationship, he says if they're finding that now because of that desire, they're burning with lust. They, they are, they're, they're just, there's just, you know, there's this temptation there. He said, if they cannot contain, let them marry. It is better to marry than to burn. He's telling those widows, and, and, and Paul goes on later on in 1 Timothy 5, he talks to the widows about this, especially young widows. They should remarry. They've been in a relationship, but now they're widowed. He says if they cannot contain, they have this longing to be in a relationship, they should marry. But very interesting, would you notice this tonight? Do you notice this? He told the unmarried, the divorced unmarried, they should remarry too if they feel that they cannot contain. Now wait a minute, did he skirt Jesus? We're going to get to that. Is he giving a command above what Jesus gave in Matthew 19? We're going to get to that. He's just giving general counsel to the married and the unmarried widow, the unmarried divorce and the widows. But wait a minute. What if they divorce for other than fornication? They're still divorced. Legally, it was annulled before God. There was a covenant. Now here's what I believe Paul was telling them. The boundary by which a divorced unmarried could remarry would only be in the context of what Jesus spoke about in Matthew 19.9. Not for any reason, but if there was fornication. I don't believe he would give a higher, he would, he would change and go take a standard. He would introduce a standard lower than that given by Jesus. And I tell you, if you look back at Matthew 19, 9, Jesus said, and I say unto you. So, in other words, he's encouraging those divorced, unmarried, who most likely were divorced because their husbands cheated on them, or their wives cheated on them, or something of that nature, or there have been multiple marriages where basically fornication was involved. He basically said, in that context there, you can remarry. He wasn't telling them that if they, if they were divorced for any other reason. I believe the majority, if not all those marriages that happened in Corinth, was because there was fornication that was involved there. Secondly, look at verses 10 and 11. Firstly, in verses 8 and 9, Paul gave general counsel to widows and divorced and married. In verses 10 and 11, he gives counsel to all the marrieds. And unto the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. He's going back to Matthew 19. He said, let not the wife depart from her husband. Now, some husbands were very unbearable. They were tough to live with. But he told the wife, she's saved. Stay in the marriage. The word depart is divorce. Let not the wife divorce her husband. It's very clear. But notice verse 11. But and if she departs, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say no divorce? Jesus said, if a man puts away his wife, except to be for fornication, 
and marries again, he's committed adultery. God knows. Paul knew that the problem of divorce for other than fornication would happen. God knows that just because of the nature of the human life, that there are some who just emotionally want out. He says, but and if she corizos or divorces, then he has a command. Let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. He says two things. If she departs, he says she has to remain unmarried or be reconciled. He's not encouraging divorce. He's giving the commandment of the Lord. He says, stay in the marriage. But if you can't, and again, these are, these are Christians growing in grace. But if you can't, and if you don't, I should say if you don't, then don't remarry or be reconciled. Then notice verse 11. You would think he's talking in the same context there, and he is to some degree, but he's going a little bit further. And he said, let not the husband put away his wife. Now, that's the word ephiemi, ephiemi. He's telling the husband, because this was rampant in that day, don't abandon your wife. And he was saying that because many of the marriages, one of the spouses got saved after they were married. And that person started to grow in the Lord. And their spouse continued to either nag on them like a dripping faucet or was basically pagan in their lifestyle. And for a husband, especially, notice verse, verse 11, a pagan husband couldn't take it. He couldn't take it if his wife was now in submission to a higher master. You know what I'm talking about there? In other words, she didn't ask just for her husband's counsel. She went to prayer and said, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And she started to read her Bible and to pray and go to church. And he didn't like the fact that his wife was living for God, and he was uncomfortable with that. And he says, he just said, you know what, to the husband, he said, you know what, don't, don't, don't divorce. He says, don't, don't abandon your wife. Now, it also includes the idea of divorce, but he says, divorcing and leading to abandonment. You're sending her away. You're basically saying, I don't want anything to do with you. Now, Paul just gave counsel to the marrieds. Verses 12 to 15, he's now going to give counsel to a third group of people. He's giving counsel to the believing spouse, the one that's saved, married to an unsaved spouse. He said, but to the rest, speak I, not the Lord. That doesn't mean it wasn't inspired. He just recognized he had what he had, this, this, these marriage issues where one was saved, one was not saved. Let me go through the idea with you real quickly here. First of all, for every saved person listening tonight, it is not God's will that a saved person should marry an unsaved person. It's not God's will the saved person should marry an unsaved person. No one do that. These people here in verse 12 to 15, for the, for the most part, one of them got saved after they were married. And so they're one saved, one not saved. Notice what he says in verse 12. If any brother has a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And that's the word ephiemi. Let him not divorce and abandon her. He says, listen, because you know what they were thinking? Oh, I'm saved. I guess I should divorce my spouse. He says, no. In verse 12 and 13, he said, no. Stay in the marriage. They're happy with you. You're happy with them. Stay in the marriage. You don't divorce for that. And the woman which has a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. 
He's just saying, there, stay happily married. I mean, I don't know about you tonight, but when I read that, you know what? That talks about the incredibleness of God's love. He knows there's tension there and all that, but he says, listen, if you, you, if you love each other, stay in the marriage. Love one another. And he tells us why. Look at verse, look at verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Now, what does that mean? Now, some people have incorrectly interpreted the word sanctified, meaning, oh, that must mean if the, if the, if the husband is saved, the wife is not, she gets saved because of the relationship. No, it does not say that. The word sanctified very simply means to set apart. It speaks of privilege. You set apart for a special reason. Being married, an un- a saved person marrying an unsaved person does not save the unsaved person. It basically implies that the godly influence of the saved wife brings the blessing of God upon the unsaved person. The godly influence of the saved wife or the saved husband brings, uh, brings, brings God's blessing upon the, un- the, 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 the unsaved person. Let me use an example of this. Look at Genesis chapter 30, verse 27. Genesis 30, verse 27. Look at Laban said to Jacob. And Laban said to him, I pray thee, if I found favor in thine eyes, tarry, for I've learned by experience the Lord has blessed me for thy sake. You know what he's saying there? If one of the spouses is saved, the marriage is better because of that saved spouse. The marriage has God's blessing. The saved spouse brings the word of God into that marriage. The saved spouse brings prayer into that marriage. The saved spouse brings the standards of God in that marriage. The saved spouse seeks to bring Jesus Christ to marriage. It is difficult. It may be hard. But listen, the unbeliever is, is sanctified by that spouse. Genesis 39.5. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him, Potiphar had made Joseph, overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had and in the field. I'm just saying tonight, that you're, you're, God, God brings his blessing on that home. They're better off. The kids are better off. Look at verse 16. Here's the reason why. So you stay in the marriage. This is what the sanctification, the holiness of that marriage, of that safe spouse does. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? Where one's saved, the other's not saved. God's saying here, you know what? You're in that marriage. Don't you realize you are now a missionary, a gospel witness to that spouse so that person would get saved? So that your husband and wife will get saved. You don't abandon them and you don't leave them and you stay happily married and you do everything you can to be a blessing. And I don't have time to get into it, but for the wives, he speaks about it in 1 Timothy chapter 3. He says, don't, don't, First uh, Peter chapter 3, don't nag him to death and don't preach him to death and keep uh, shoving the gospel down his, down his throat. He said, listen, what you do is you witness to him through a godly testimony, through a meek and quiet spirit, which, in the price, which is in the sight of God of great price. He says, live out your testimony, be in submission, demonstrate what a godly wife is all about. Be a Proverbs 31 chapter woman. He says, show this to, this to that husband there. And you know, in the midst of a, of a pagan Corinthian society, that went a long way. But what about the children in verse 14? He says, else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. Do we say in there the influence of a saved husband or saved wife helps raise the standard in those children? They grow up in a home where God is mentioned. They grow up in a home where idols are removed. They grow up in a home where they have a godly influence and not just an ungodly influence. They're, they're, basically, it's a God, the preservation of a godly seed there. But now go to verse 15 again. We see a very strong condition that God gives here. He says, said previously, stay in the marriage. Stay in the marriage. Now we're still in the context of one being saved, the other not being saved. One saved, one being unsaved. Verse 15, but if the unbelieving depart, now the word depart is a very strong word. It's not carizo. It is literally, that word aphiemi, of departure with the intent to abandon. Where there has been emotional and physical and spiritual abandonment. If the unbelieving depart, then Paul said, 
They don't want to stay. They want out. Then let them afiemi. Let them go. You've done everything you can to keep it together. You've done everything you can to live a godly testimony. You've done everything you can to try to point that person to Christ. But if that person is still so, so, so incorrigible and so difficult and so ungodly and so just far from God and has no desire for God, if the unbelieving wants to depart, he says, you know what? If you've done everything you can, let him go. That's what God said. Why? Notice verse 15. A brother or sister, and this is important now, is not under bondage in such a case. Now, circle the word bondage. You know what the word bondage is? And we saw that in another verse. You know what the word bondage is? It's the word doulos. A bond slave. A bond slave belonged to his master. When he was set free, he was no longer under bondage. You know what God is saying here in verse 15? This is the second exception. The first exception is fornication. The second exception, he says here, but a brother, a brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. You know what God is just saying right there? God is saying in this situation, because he's called us to peace, if they leave because they're abandoning you and they've left you and they've left you emotionally raw and they've abandoned you financially, and they've done all these bad things to you. You know what he's saying there? He says, if they've done so, you're not under bondage in that situation. That's why God used the word afiemi and not the word carizo. God gave a condition, a second exception. And we get back to verses 8 and 9. Remember that? The unmarried, the married, the, the unmarried there? That's who he's talking about there. Where they were abandoned. Or fornication occurred. Let me give you the conclusion. It's been a long service tonight. I want to finish up. Let me give you the conclusion tonight. Number one, God hates divorce, but he loves the divorced. Whatever the reasons happened before you got saved, When you got saved, God forgave you. And if it happened after you got saved, through no fault of your own, whatever, just like any sin, God forgives us. I said earlier, and I'm going to say to you tonight, God loves you, I love you. We want God's best, and God's going to give you his best still. Secondly, God says stay in your marriage. You're married to an unbelieving spouse, stay in the marriage. The, sanct- the unbelieving spouse is sanctified or better off because of you. And your ministry, your key ministry, is seeing the salvation of that, that spouse. Believers should not seek divorce. And the sinful nature does, but he says, you know, as he according to chapter 7, verse 11, he says, stay in that marriage. Or if you, do, if you do depart for other than fornication or abandonment, he says, listen, you have to remain unmarried or be reconciled. Divorce and remarriage, thirdly, have a narrow exception. Where fornication has occurred, and again, as I said, by fornication, the repeated unrepentant event, it gives you permission to divorce. However, Where it's happened, the offender should repent, and the one offended must seek God's grace to forgive. They must seek God's grace to forgive. Secondly, where there's been abandonment and desertion through divorce by an unbelieving spouse, God says they're no longer under bondage. Marriage is a beautiful picture of the relationship of Jesus Christ and the church. We spent some time looking at these verses of Scripture. 
Know what you believe. Know what the Bible says. Can I tell you this? Life is very short. Don't, don't live in your marriage, for you married folks, to make your spouse miserable or vice versa. Most people make someone else miserable because they're already miserable. There's sin somewhere there. You're not happy. That's not God's fault. And it's probably not your spouse's fault. If you're hard to, you're hard to, if you're someone hard to be satisfied and contented, I encourage you tonight to set apart, get yourself apart, and get baptized in the love of God. Practice 1 Corinthians 13. Model a godly marriage. Young people, marry saved. Single people, marry saved. We've got God's counsel and wisdom here. The devil's favorite word is to break up the marriage. What God says, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Tonight in all of this, I want to say this, because the marriage, marriage of a man and a woman is a picture of the love of Jesus Christ for the church. Jesus has unconditional love for you. And invite you tonight, if you're not born again, you've never been born again, you've never gotten saved, God invites you tonight to be born again and to come into the family of God. Would you call on the Lord to save you? If your marriage is going through some difficulties and going through the rocks, you feel like you're hitting the rocks right now, you know what you need to do? You need to get on the rock of ages and stand firm on Him. And claim, take back your marriage for Christ. Take back your marriage for Christ. Get out of your mind. This stuff wanting to divide and all this stuff. Get out of that. And if you've been hurt through this, go on with life. Go on with life. And seek victory through Jesus Christ.